Welcome to Quantum Magazine's Science Podcast. Come for the science, stay for the stories. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. This week on the podcast, two major mathematical breakthroughs. First, a quartet of close-knit theorists make one of the biggest discoveries in number theory in the last 30 years. Then, in our second segment, an unheralded mathematician bridges the prime gap. First, Math Quartet joins forces on unified theory by Kevin Hartnett. One of the first collaborations Zini Yuan and Wei Zhang ever undertook was a trip to the Social Security office. It was the fall of 2004, and the two of them were promising young graduate students in mathematics at Columbia University. They were also friends from their college years at Peking University in Beijing. Yuan had come to Columbia a year earlier than Zhang, and now he was helping his friend get a social security number. The trip did not go well. We went there, and we were told that some document of Wei's was missing, and that he couldn't do it at that time, Yuan recalled. That failed attempt was one of the few unsuccessful team efforts the two have undertaken since coming to the U.S. Zhang, who is now a professor at Columbia, and Yuan, now an assistant professor at UC Berkeley, are members of an unofficial quartet of Chinese mathematicians who have been friends since their undergraduate days at Peking University in the early 2000s, and now hold positions in some of the best mathematics departments in the world. That a number of elite mathematicians would come out of the same class at a top university is unusual, but not unprecedented. The most recent example is Manjul Bargov, Kirin Kedlaya, and Lenny Ng, freshman classmates at Harvard who went on to become distinguished mathematicians. They remain good friends and all traveled to Seoul in 2014 when Bargov won the Fields Medal. What's unusual about the group, formed by Zhang, Yuan, and two other friends, is the degree to which they continue to collaborate, and the extraordinary amount of successes that they've had. They are not only good, they work in almost the same areas, and because they learned together, they influenced each other. And even as mature mathematicians, they're collaborative, said Shou Zhang, a mathematician at Princeton who knows all four, and was influential in recruiting Zhang and Yuan to study in the U.S., in addition to Zhang and Yuan, the other members of the group are Ziwei Yun, a professor at Stanford, and Xinwen Zhu, an associate professor at Caltech. Yun and Zhu work in the field of algebraic geometry, while Zhang and Yuan work in number theory. This split in fields provides them with complementary perspectives on what is probably the single biggest project in mathematics, the Langlands program, which has been described by the Berkeley mathematician Edward Frankel, who was Zhu's graduate advisor, as a kind of grand, unified theory of mathematics. The program, first envisioned by the mathematician Robert Langlands in the late 1960s, seeks to draw connections between number theory and geometry, so as to use tools from one field to make discoveries in the other. One obstacle to pursuing the Langlands program is that it's difficult for a single mathematician to know both fields deeply enough to see all the connections between the two. Yet mathematicians from different fields may have trouble communicating with one another. 
The best possible scenario is for a collaboration to contain people who deeply understand disparate fields, but who also have just enough in common to talk to each other. That is the case with these four mathematicians. They are all individually talented, and each has pursued his own research interests over the years. But they are also close friends, with a shared background and a similar approach to mathematics. This has allowed them to prompt each other, teach each other, and make discoveries together that they might not have otherwise made so easily. These include several smaller papers they've written in tandem, and now most recently their biggest collaborative discovery yet, a forthcoming result by Zhang and Yun that's already being hailed as one of the most exciting breakthroughs in an important area of number theory in the last 30 years. Before their mathematical abilities drew them together, the four grew up in different parts of China, Zhu is from Chengdu, a provincial capital in the southwest. Yun grew up in a town outside Shanghai called Changzhou. At first, he was more interested in calligraphy than math. Then, when he was in third grade, a teacher recognizing Yun's potential explained to him that the infinitely repeating decimal, 0.999, is exactly equal to 1. Yun puzzled over this unexpected fact for months. After that, he was hooked. Yuan started out in the least auspicious circumstances of the four. He was born in a village close to Wuhan, a poor area with few resources for cultivating mathematical genius. But his teachers quickly noticed his talent. My math teachers liked me very much in first and second grade, and I could tell they were surprised by my ability, he said, mainly that I got very high scores, usually perfect scores on exams. Later, he enrolled in the prestigious Huangang High School. In China, as in other countries, there are structures in place that make it likely that top mathematical talents will eventually meet. Zhu and Zhang, who grew up 300 miles away from Chengdu, first met at a summer camp after 10th grade. Yun and Yuan were both members of the Chinese National Math Olympiad team, a status that reflected their particular technical skill and prowess at solving problems. In August 2000, the four were among 200 students in the entering class at Peking University. Many of their classmates were good at math, but most aspired to careers in practical fields, like finance or computer science. By their junior year, their class had divided up according to interests, and Yuan, Zhang, Yun, and Zhu found themselves placed together in a small group focused on pure math. At that point, the four became friends in the typical college way. They'd watch movies, go hiking, and play soccer and basketball together. Yuan, whom they all described as the most athletic of the group, usually won. During this period, in class and in discussions they organized among themselves, the four also encountered, for the first time, some of the mathematical concepts, such as automorphic forms, that would later form the focus of their careers. And as they made their way into the world of higher mathematics, they realized they were all fascinated by the same kind of mathematical research. By the end of college, it was pretty clear to me that the four of us shared a similar taste in mathematics, Yun said. That taste is structure-based mathematics. Instead of doing computation, all of us are interested in the big picture and finding interesting examples demonstrating general principles. Yuan was the first of the group to take this perspective to the United States. In 2003, he went to Colombia to work with Shobu Zhang. 
He was drawn abroad by the feeling that, in China, he wouldn't be able to realize his potential as a mathematician. I somehow thought that the professors at Peking University were not good enough. We're not top mathematicians, he said. I wanted to come to the United States earlier, just to see these great mathematicians. Yuan's experience as a graduate student surpassed his expectations. It wasn't just that he suddenly found himself attending conferences and colloquia with the brightest mathematicians in the world. It was also that, as he observed these mathematicians up close, he gained a new appreciation for the immense potential in the discipline he'd chosen to pursue. In China, mathematicians were not that happy. Like somehow they didn't seem to enjoy math. They gave off the impression that math was hard, and you needed to be cautious to choose math as your lifetime career, he said. Columbia was totally different. One important thing I saw there was happiness in math. Motivation. Optimism. These are the parts I didn't see in China. A year later, Yuan's friends followed him to graduate school in the United States. Zhu went to Berkeley, Yun to Princeton, and Zhang to Columbia. Zhang remembers that soon after arriving in the United States, he realized he'd miscalculated when he would receive his first stipend check and was going to run out of cash. Yuan, who had a year to figure out the intricacies of direct deposit, gave him some money to get by. Even more crucially, Yuan helped Zhang get his bearings in the math department at Columbia. He gave me more direct access in understanding what professors here studied, Zhang said. Zhang was particularly attracted to Shou Zhang's research. Shou Zhang, who later left Columbia for Princeton, worked simultaneously in number theory and arithmetic algebraic geometry. Wei Zhang was impressed by what he describes as Shou Zhang's ability to expose ideas directly, without hiding them behind a lot of technical ideas. Eventually, Wei Zhang decided to focus his dissertation research on L-functions, a central topic in modern number theory and one of the most interesting. In particular, he was interested in generalizing the Gross-Zagier formula, which applies to a certain subset of L-functions, to a much broader range of L-functions. This work, which presaged his most recent discoveries with Yun, was closely related to Shou Zhang's own research, but not confined by it. The freedom to chart one's own mathematical path, even as a graduate student, is something Wei Zhang likely would not have found had he stayed in China. In the Chinese way, you 100% follow your teacher and do the problem that's left from the teacher's research area. Shou Zhang said. The American way is you take teacher's advice with some modification. At the same time that Wei Zhang was exploring L-functions, Yuan was finding his own way in number theory, and Yun and Zhu were establishing their research programs in algebraic geometry. During and after graduate school, the four stayed in regular contact. Their paths often crossed in the country's math centers, in Boston, where Yun was a postdoctoral fellow at MIT, and Zhu was at Harvard, and at Princeton, where Yuan and Yun overlapped during the 2008 to 2009 academic year. During that year at Princeton, Yuan and Yun met regularly and began to develop their collaborative style. In informal conversations, Yuan explained the intricacies of number theory to his geometer friend. They spoke in Mandarin and conversed easily. 
Yuan had a good understanding of what Yun knew and didn't know, and Yun was able to ask questions, even simple ones, without fear of looking naive. Because he was able to explain many things to me, Yun said, I didn't find it very difficult, while before, I found number theory too difficult for me. These conversations, along with the work of the 2010 Fields Medalist, Go Bao Chao, helped Yun understand that many of the techniques he knew from algebraic geometry could be used to attack problems in number theory. This was the goal of the Langlands program, and it had been made apparent to Yun in a very direct way. Now all he needed was a question to address. In December 2014, Zhang flew from New York to the West Coast, where he saw Yun and Yuan. The reason for the trip was a 60th birthday conference at the Mathematical Sciences Research Institute in Berkeley for the Columbia mathematician Michael Harris. But Zhang also arrived with an idea he wanted to share with his friends. That idea had grown out of a conversation he'd had with Yun back in 2011. At that time, Yun had been thinking about work Zhang had done even earlier on a problem in the Langlands program known as the Arithmetic Fundamental Lemma. Yun thought that some of those ideas could be combined with techniques from algebraic geometry, but he told Zhang he wasn't sure if it was possible. I had some geometric idea which could be true, but I couldn't make it precise because I was lacking some vision in number theory, Yun said. I told Wei, do you think this thing could be true? He wasn't sure. They left the conversation there for several years. Then, in 2014, Zhang realized that Yun's intuition was correct, and he began to see what it would take to prove it. The problem at hand involved L-functions, which Zhang had studied in graduate school. L-functions have what's known as a Taylor expansion, in which they can be expressed as a sum of increasing powers. In 1986, Benedict Gross and Don Zagier were able to calculate the first term in the series. Although L-functions were initially purely objects of number theory, they can also have a geometric interpretation. And powerful techniques from algebraic geometry can be used to study them. Yun had guessed that every term in the Taylor expansion should have a geometric interpretation. Zhang was able to precisely define what such an interpretation would look like. Whereas Gross and Zagier and the French mathematician Jean-Louis Valsperger had been able to obtain exact formulas for the first and second term, in the expansion, the new work would show how to obtain a geometric formula for every term. Zhang explained his thinking to Yun and Yuan at Yuan's house. As he listened, Yun remembers thinking that Zhang's ideas fit together so well they had to be true. He had the vision for this sort of global picture that made what I had vaguely in my mind very precise, Yun said. I think I was really kind of astonished when he laid out the whole thing. It was so beautiful. After that night, it took Zhang and Yun about nine months to prove their ideas. By September of this year, they had an early draft of a paper and began to give informal talks on their efforts. By the end of November, they had a completed draft. Shou Zhang, who has seen the work, estimates they completed the work at least a year faster than Wei Zhang could have managed on his own. Assuming, that is, that the approach would have even occurred to him. 
The result still has to go through peer review, but it is already generating excitement in the math world. Among other implications, it opens a whole new window onto the famed Birch and Swinnerton Dyer conjecture, which is one of the seven millennium prize problems that carry a $1 million award for whoever solves them first. But the effect of Zhang and Yun's latest work go beyond math. Zhang and Yun met as teenagers, grew up with Zhu and Yuan across two continents, and came of age together as mathematicians. Now, the benefits of the friendship are spilling over into the rest of the mathematical world. These four people have different styles and methodologies to attack problems, said Shobu Zhang. So combined together, it's simply great. Second, Unheralded Mathematician Bridges the Prime Gap by Erica Klareich In April 2013, a paper arrived in the inbox of Annals of Mathematics, one of the discipline's preeminent journals. Written by a mathematician virtually unknown to the experts in his field, a 50-something lecturer at the University of New Hampshire named Yi Tang Zhang, the paper claimed to have taken a huge step forward in understanding one of mathematics' oldest problems, the twin primes conjecture. Editors of prominent mathematics journals are used to fielding grandiose claims from obscure authors. But this paper was different. Written with crystalline clarity and a total command of the topic's current state of the art, it was evidently a serious piece of work. And the annals editors decided to put it on the fast track. Just three weeks later, a blink of an eye compared to the usual pace in mathematics journals, Zhang received the referee report on his paper. The main results are of the first rank, one of the referees wrote. The author had proved a landmark theorem in the distribution of prime numbers. Rumors swept through the mathematics community that a great advance had been made by a researcher no one seemed to know someone whose talents had been so overlooked after he earned his doctorate in 1991 that he had found it difficult to get an academic job, working for several years as an accountant, and even in a subway sandwich shop. Basically, no one knows him, said Andrew Granville, a number theorist at the Université de Montréal. Now suddenly, he has proved one of the great results in the history of number theory. Mathematicians at Harvard University hastily arranged for Zhang to present his work to a packed audience there on May 13th. As details of his work have emerged, it has become clear that Zhang achieved his result not via a radically new approach to the problem, but by applying existing methods with great perseverance. The big experts in the field had already tried to make this approach work, Granville said. He's not a known expert, but he succeeded where all the experts had failed. Prime numbers, those that have no factors other than one and themselves, are the atoms of arithmetic, and have fascinated mathematicians since the time of Euclid, who proved more than 2,000 years ago that there are infinitely many of them. Because prime numbers are fundamentally connected with multiplication, understanding their additive properties can be tricky. Some of the oldest unsolved problems in mathematics concern basic questions about primes and addition. 
such as the twin primes conjecture, which proposes that there are infinitely many pairs of primes that differ by only two, and the Goldbach conjecture, which proposes that every even number is the sum of two primes. By an astonishing coincidence, a weaker version of this latter question was settled in a paper posted online by Harold Helfgott of École Normale Supérieure in Paris, while Zhang was delivering his Harvard lecture. Prime numbers are abundant at the beginning of the number line, but they grow much sparser among large numbers. Of the first 10 numbers, for example, 40% are prime, 2, 3, 5, and 7, but among 10-digit numbers, only about 4% are prime. For over a century, mathematicians have understood how the primes taper off on average. Among large numbers, the expected gap between prime numbers is approximately 2.3 times the number of digits. So, for example, among 100-digit numbers, the expected gap between primes is about 230. But that's just on average. Primes are often much closer together than the average predicts, or much farther apart. In particular, twin primes often crop up, pairs such as 3 and 5 or 11 and 13 that differ by only 2. And while such pairs get rarer among larger numbers, twin primes never seem to disappear completely. For hundreds of years, mathematicians have speculated that there are infinitely many twin prime pairs. In 1849, French mathematician Alphonse de Polignac extended this conjecture to the idea that there should be infinitely many prime pairs for any possible finite gap, not just two. Since that time, the intrinsic appeal of these conjectures have given them the status of a mathematical holy grail, even though they have no known applications. But despite many efforts at proving them, mathematicians weren't able to rule out the possibility that the gaps between primes grow and grow, eventually exceeding any particular bound. Now, Zhang has broken through this barrier. His paper shows that there is some number n smaller than 70 million, such that there are infinitely many pairs of primes that differ by n. No matter how far you go into the deserts of the truly gargantuan prime numbers, no matter how sparse the primes become, you will keep finding prime pairs that differ by less than 70 million. The result is astounding, said Daniel Goldston, a number theorist at San Jose State University. It's one of those problems you weren't sure people would ever be able to solve. The seeds of Zhang's result lie in a paper from eight years ago that number theorists refer to as GPY, after its three authors— Goldston, Janos Pintz of the Alfred Renyi Institute of Mathematics in Budapest, and Samuel Dirham of Bazice University in Istanbul. That paper came tantalizingly close but was ultimately unable to prove that there are infinitely many pairs of primes with some finite gap. Instead, it showed that there will always be pairs of primes much closer together than the average spacing predicts. More precisely, GPY showed that for any fraction you choose, no matter how tiny, there will always be a pair of primes closer together than that fraction of the average gap, if you go out far enough along the number line. But the researchers couldn't prove that the gaps between these prime pairs are always less than some particular finite number. GPY uses a method called sieving to filter out pairs of primes that are closer together than average. Sieves have long been used in the study of prime numbers, starting with the 2,000-year-old sieve of Eratosthenes, 
a technique for finding prime numbers. To use the sieve of Eratosthenes to find, say, all the primes up to 100, start with the number 2 and cross out any higher number on the list that is divisible by 2. Next, move on to 3 and cross out all the numbers divisible by 3. 4 is already crossed out, so you move on to 5 and cross out all the numbers divisible by 5, and so on. The numbers that survive this crossing out process are the primes. The sieve of Eratosthenes works perfectly to identify primes, but it is too cumbersome and inefficient to be used to answer theoretical questions. Over the past century, number theorists have developed a collection of methods that provide useful approximate answers to such questions. The sieve of Eratosthenes does too good a job, Goldston said. Modern sieve methods give up trying to sieve perfectly. GPY developed a sieve that filters out lists of numbers that are plausible candidates for having prime pairs in them. To get from there to actual prime pairs, the researchers combine their sieving tool with a function whose effectiveness is based on a parameter called the level of distribution that measures how quickly the prime numbers start to display certain regularities. The level of distribution is known to be at least one-half. This is exactly the right value to prove the GPY result, but it falls just short of proving that there are always pairs of primes with a bounded gap. The Sivin GPY could establish that result, the researchers showed, but only if the level of distribution of the primes could be shown to be more than one-half. Any amount more would be enough. The theorem in GPY would appear to be within a hair's breadth of obtaining this result, the researchers wrote. But the more researchers tried to overcome this obstacle, the thicker the hairs seemed to become. During the late 1980s, three researchers, Enrico Bombieri, a Fields Medalist at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton, John Friedlander of the University of Toronto, and Henrik Ivonietz of Rutgers University had developed a way to tweak the definition of the level of distribution to bring the value of this adjusted parameter up four-sevenths. After the GPY paper was circulated in 2005, researchers worked feverishly to incorporate this tweaked level of distribution into GPY's sieving framework, but to no avail. The big experts in the area tried and failed, Granville said. I personally didn't think anyone was going to be able to do it anytime soon. Meanwhile, Zhang was working in solitude to try to bridge the gap between the GPY result and the bounded prime gaps conjecture. A Chinese immigrant who received his doctorate from Purdue University, he had always been interested in number theory even though it wasn't the subject of his dissertation. During the difficult years, in which he was unable to get an academic job, he continued to follow developments in the field. There are a lot of chances in your career, but the important thing is to keep thinking, he said. Zhang read the GPY paper, and in particular, the sentence referring to the hair's breadth between GPY and bounded prime gaps. That sentence impressed me so much, he said. Without communicating with the field's experts, Zhang started thinking about the problem. After three years, however, he had made no progress. I was so tired, he said. To take a break, Zhang visited a friend from Colorado last summer. There, on July 3rd, during a half-hour lull in his friend's backyard before leaving for a concert, the solution suddenly came to him. I immediately realized that it would work, he said. 
Zhang's idea was to use not the GPY sieve, but a modified version of it, in which the sieve filters not by every number, but only by numbers that have no large prime factors. His sieve doesn't do as good a job because you're not using everything you can sieve with, Goldston said. But it turns out that, while it's a little less effective, it gives him the flexibility that allows the argument to work. While the new sieve allowed Zhang to prove that there are infinitely many prime pairs closer together than 70 million, it is unlikely that his methods can be pushed as far as the twin primes conjecture, Goldston said. Even with the strongest possible assumptions about the value of the level of distribution, he said, the best result likely to emerge from the GPY method would be that there are infinitely many prime pairs that differ by 16 or less. But Granville said that mathematicians shouldn't prematurely rule out the possibility of reaching the twin primes conjecture by these methods. This work is a game-changer. And sometimes after a new proof, what had previously appeared to be much harder turns out to be just a tiny extension, he said. For now, we need to study the paper and see what's what. It took Zhang several months to work through all the details, but the resulting paper is a model of clear exposition, Granville said. He nailed down every detail so no one will doubt him. There's no waffling. Once Zhang received the referee report, Events unfolded with dizzying speed. Invitations to speak on his work poured in. I think people are pretty thrilled that someone out of nowhere did this, Granville said. For Zhang, who calls himself shy, the glare of the spotlight has been somewhat uncomfortable. I said, why is this so quick? He said, it was confusing sometimes. Zhang was not shy, though, during his harbor talk, which attendees praised for its clarity. When I'm giving a talk and concentrating on the math, I forget my shyness, he said. Zhang said he feels no resentment about the relative obscurity of his career thus far. My mind is very peaceful. I don't care so much about the money or the honor, he said. I like to be very quiet and keep working by myself. Meanwhile, Zhang has already started work on his next project, which he declined to describe. Hopefully, he said, it will be a good result. You're listening to Quantum Magazine's Science Podcast with music by Poddington Bear. I'm Leah Alfonso. For news, interviews, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org.